Amen. Praise the Lord. It's so great to be with you this morning. I'm going to ask before we jump into what God's going to bring us through today, will you just pause for a moment and pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your love for us, for your desire to know us. God, we thank you that you've called us your sons and daughters. Lord, I pray today that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to receive the truth of your word, that you would accomplish something in us and through us. And we ask it in your name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. So as I thought about this weekend, I thought about Mother's Day. I thought, man, what could I talk about on Mother's Day that hasn't been talked about so many times before? You have your normal messages. We could talk about Proverbs 31 and that virtuous, godly woman. Or we could talk maybe about the mother of Moses and that wonderful, sacrificial love of a mom. Maybe we talk about Hannah, the mother of Samuel, and how she dedicated her son to the Lord, and God heard her cry and her plea, and he, he used Samuel to do something great. We could talk about those things because that would be really appropriate this morning, wouldn't it? That's not what we're going to talk about. Today I want to talk about something that's a little bit more foundational. Something that impacts each and every one of us in this place, whether we are a, a wife, a mom, a grandmother, a husband, father, grandfather, a son, a daughter, a brother, sister. It comes down to the very foundation of it affects us as a believer, as a child of God. Today, it's my prayer that each of us will learn how to have a God-centered view of our life because it impacts everything. It impacts all of those relationships and our ability to do it successfully. To have a God-centered view of our life, it's not normal, it's not easy, because think about it, from the minute we're this big to the minute we're this big, from the minute we're born to when we're aged, we're being told who we are and who we should be every step of the way. Think about it. In this room, I could say, man, you're single. You're like, yep, I'm single. Hey, you're married. You're divorced. You're widowed. You're a Republican. You're a Democrat. You're an independent. You say, yep, those are true. They're labels that we give. I could say we're a Christian, but we don't stop there. We say, I'm a Methodist Christian, or I'm a Baptist Christian. I'm a charismatic Christian. We label everything. If you have kids today, you label your kids. I know you do. I have five kids. You can't tell me you don't label your kids. This was tough because one of my kids was in the last service. I had to be careful. <laughs> like, which one am I? Man, you have, man, you lay, I have my smart kid. I have my kid who's not quite as smart as my smart kid. We'll say it nicely. I have my funny kid, my outgoing kid, my sensitive kid, my sport, my athletic kid, my bookworm. We label everyone. But some labels are a little bit more personal. They're a little bit more perceived, and we put them on ourselves. Maybe you're here this morning, and you say, man, Jay, I am such a sinner. Guess what? We all are. You say, Jay, you have no idea what I've done. I carry this with me every day. I've made some destructive choices just to think about them, make me cringe. I'm embarrassed to talk to them about people, because when I do, they tend to turn the other way. They run, they bolt, they leave me. And guess what do you do? You put this self-imposed label on yourself that I am unlovable, I don't belong, I'm unforgivable. Maybe you have kids today, or you have grandkids, and no matter what you do, you watch them make poor choices. You've done your best to lead them on the straight and narrow, to teach them godly principles and how to make positive choices, but they're making poor choices, and you're watching their life self-destruct right in front of you. To the point where you hate it when people ask you, hey, how's your kid or your grandkid? Because, you know, you're embarrassed. You don't want to tell them what's going on. Not really because of what's going on, but because 
internally, you feel like a failure as a mom, as a dad, as a grandma, as a grandpa. Maybe today you struggle having a basic conversation. You can't express yourself in a healthy way. Simple conversations turn to screaming matches and shouting matches, and these conversations and these interactions leave with more pain and more hurt than they do with solutions. And so now you've labeled yourself as broken, as unhealthy, irrational, unable to have a healthy relationship. If you spend any time on social media, at some point you had to feel inadequate. I do. See all these perfect pictures of families and husbands and dads and kids and picture-perfect life. Like, man, what did I do wrong? I'm failing somewhere. We already said that Mother's Day is a tough day. Maybe you're here and the cry of your heart was to be to have kids and you weren't able to have kids, miscarriage after miscarriage after miscarriage after infertility. You're left broken. I may have five kids, but my wife and I have walked the road of miscarriage and loss. And it cripples you. It devastates you. So you may be here today and you may have put this label on yourself. Man, God doesn't love me. I'm insignificant. I'm not as good as the others. God is not concerned with who I am. Maybe you feel unlovable. That's probably my biggest one when I grew up. I'm 42 years old. I'll be 43 in a couple weeks. I say this year. My wife says a couple weeks. I'm in denial. I was 31 years old when I heard these four words, Jake, I love you, from my dad. 31 years old until I heard those words. Thankfully, God was good, and he gave me a mom who loved me, grandparents who loved me, people in the church and surrounded me. But those four words from my dad, I longed to hear for 31 years. And so I lived most of my life with this label on myself that I am not worthy. I am not good enough. I don't measure up. I am unlovable, not just by my dad, but I transferred that to my concept of how God sees me. God could never love me. God will never accept me. Whatever it may be, we take these labels and we internalize them and they become instrumental in shaping who we are and how we interact with the people around us. My question for you this morning is what label have you put on yourself? What label have you adopted that maybe someone else has given you and you've internalized it and you've allowed it to impact you in a negative way? Maybe jot it down in your notes and your program. Because today I want to take you on a journey that reminds us that God's power is bigger than our past. His truth is stronger than anyone else's opinion about us. And what, what's, what once was no longer has to be because God's word transforms lives. Amen? Today I want to give you a very intentional choice that we can refuse the labels of our past, those things that inhibit us and hold us back from God's plan for our future, and we can grab a hold of a God-centered view of ourselves. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, if you want to turn there or look it up on your device, it will be up here on the screen. We'll read this together. Paul is speaking to the Corinthian church. He says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a what? A new person. Anyone. It doesn't matter your religious background. It doesn't matter how long the list is of things that you wish you have done or the, wish, the list of things you wish you hadn't done. It doesn't matter how successful or unsuccessful you think that you are or other people have told you. 
If anyone be in Christ Jesus, he is a new person. So what does that mean to be in Christ Jesus? Let's keep it simple. You put your faith and your hope in Christ Jesus, God's son who was murdered on a cross, buried in a grave and rose again on the third day. If you put your faith and hope in him, you can be a new creation, a new person. Isn't that great news? But he doesn't stop there. He says not only will we be a new person, he continues. He says the old life is what? Gone. A new life has begun. Now, what does that mean to be gone? I tried to look it up. In the Greek, it means just that. It's gone. Specifically, it means it is deceased. It has passed away. It no longer exists. You and I have this problem in this hard time when someone wrongs us that we tend to hold on to it. We put it in our backpack. We carry it around. We pull it out when we want to be upset or need a grudge to hold. But God says that those things are gone. The Bible says as far as the east is from the west to the depths of the sea, God has removed our sin Our shortcomings, our failures, our mistakes, our past, they're gone. That's how God sees us. So anytime we're tempted to believe in a label that is destructive, this descriptor that we put on ourselves, we need to remember that God has made us a new person. And he does that by doing three things. And I want to share them with you today. Three things to keep in mind and to remember as we embrace a God-centered view of ourself. The first thing is this, is that God will give us a new name. God will give us the new name. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 62, verse 2, Isaiah is speaking this proclamation over Zion. They're in this place of rebellion towards God, and he's encouraging them of what is to come and what they will be. He says this, You will be given a new name by the Lord's own mouth. The very same breath that breathed the universe into existence, the very same God that with one word spoke into being all that you and I know. Breathes, speaks a new name over his people, over you and me. For years, maybe decades, you have believed a label, a description a perception of yourself that the created one, that man, has put on you. But today, I want to walk us through. I want you to hear what God, the creator, says about you and me. You see, God changing names is nothing new. You can read all through the Bible, and you can see different times where God chooses to change a name for different reasons. We'll look at a few examples this morning. You have Abram and Sarai. This couple that was barren, they were childless. That was their label because that was the truth, the reality that they knew about themselves and what they believed would be. But then God came and he breathed a new name over them. He said, you'll no longer be called Abram and Sarai. You'll be called Abraham and Sarah. Abraham meaning the father of many generations. Sarah actually means princess. Awesome. What about Jacob? Jacob was known as the deceiver. You can read about him, Genesis chapter 32. He traded his birthright for a bowl of stew. But then God stepped in and he says, you know what? You will not be defined by the choices of your past, yet you will be defined by who I say you are, and you will no longer be called Jacob, deceiver, but yet you will be called Israel, which means God will prevail. Amen. Gideon, you can read about him in Judges chapter 6 through 8. This man who felt like he was insignificant. Anyone here ever feel insignificant? Like you don't matter? 
Gideon, feeling weak, insignificant, God sends an angel of the Lord to him and says, you will no longer be Gideon. He says, you will be a mighty warrior. Today, I believe that God wants to give many of us a new name. You may own labels that God, the creator, never intended for you to have. Jake, you just don't understand. You don't know what I've done. I am such a sinner. I'm a mess. I keep falling into that same cycle, that same pattern. I can't break free of it. I am unreachable by God. I'm unforgivable. I'm unlovable. I feel like God wants to say and shout from the heavens, you're not unforgivable. You are my redeemed, and you are my forgiven. You may say, I'm rejected. Nobody wants me. I'm second best. My marriage is falling apart. My family is falling apart. I can't even keep my my own world together. All I will ever know is rejection. And I believe God wants to say to you this morning that you are his beloved, that you are a son and a daughter of the most high God. You may say to them, I'm an addict. Man, you can be addicted to anything, not just alcohol and drugs. Jake, I'm an addict. I can't shake loose these chains that continue to tear me down. God wants to say to you, you are not an addict. You are an overcomer. You are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. We need to remember, church, that for every lie that we put upon ourselves, that we believe about ourselves, God has an opposing truth. The problem is, is that truth is usually harder for us to believe. But he loves us that much. He wants to give us a new name. He wants us to remember that we're not who others say we are, but who he says that we are. God doesn't only give us a new name. He also gives us a new purpose with that name. With a new identity comes a new purpose. God will give us a new purpose this morning. How many of you know that purpose, vision, a plan for your life is an important thing? It keeps you going. It drives you. When you feel like giving up, it gives you motivation to keep moving on. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 5, I'll set the scene for you. Jesus is in process of gathering together his disciples. He's building his team for his earthly ministry. He just finished teaching a crowd of people along the seaside. As he finishes up, he turns and he sees a fisherman. A fisherman. This guy's purpose, his reason for being was to do what? Catch fish. That's what he did. That's what he knew. So Jesus sees this fisherman named Simon, and he approaches him, and he says, Simon, let's hop in your boat. Let's go out into the water. All right, let's go. Simon gets out in the, gets in the boat with Jesus. They go out. Jesus continues to teach the people from the boat, and then he stops, and he looks at Simon. He says, Simon, I want you to put into deeper water, and I want you to put down your nets. Again, Simon, the fisherman. He finds his voice and responds to Jesus. Um, Jesus, excuse me? We were just there all night, and in case you didn't hear, we didn't catch a thing. We didn't catch anything. But then Jesus, this carpenter from Nazareth, the soon-to-be Messiah, the Savior of the world, this rabbi teacher looks at Simon and says, put down your nets. I can only imagine Simon's response. The thing about text is you can't understand tone. It's like... Really, Jesus? They said, I've been there all night, but because you said so, that's what I'll do. I'm not a fisherman. I'm not good at many things. I try many things. I'm not very good at them, but I do try to fish. Last year, I took my daughter, who at that point, she was seven years old, well, just turning seven, went fishing. 
So I know I'm not a good fisherman, but I would say that I was probably a better fisherman than her. That's what I would think. And so as we're standing there on the side, I'm casting. She goes, Dad, can I cast? I'm like, sure. She goes, I want to cast over there. So I'm like, really? You want to cast over there? Yeah, that's what I want. I'm like, all right. They're cast over there. So I help her cast. And she's reeling in. And she's like, Dad, it's not coming. I'm like, oh, for crying out loud, what did you do now? Thinking she got stuck on the tree. That's where she wanted to cast by, this little tree. I'm like, all right. Yep, silly me. She pulls in a three-pound bass, right? Don't I feel like an idiot? <clears throat> but it's probably what Simon felt like. Here he is. This is what he does. Surely he knows more than Jesus because I'm a fisherman. This is my purpose. This is what I do. The story goes on to say he let down his nets, and the miraculous catch of fish was so great that the nets began to break. You see, something happened in that moment. Simon met the Savior of the world. When Jesus enters our world church, our lives are never the same. They are never the same. Jesus goes on in Luke chapter 5, verse 10. He says this to Simon. He says, Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. In other words, you won't just fish for fish. That's no longer your purpose. It may have been your purpose, but now your purpose is so much bigger. Simon, your purpose is to change lives. Isn't it just like our God to take those small, insignificant callings that we think we have in our life and give us a purpose, a calling that is so much greater, so much bigger than anything we could think or imagine? No matter what you've done in the past, no matter what I have done in the past, our God can give us a new purpose, a new vision, a new reason for being. This morning, you may come to this place and you may say, Jake, man, my image of myself, it's awful. It's so negative. I despise myself, what I see in the mirror, what I hear, what I sound like, what I think, I despise it. I want God to give me a new name, that name of redeemed, that name of of new. And I look at you and I say, God wants to give you that name, but God doesn't want to just keep you there. As he brings you down that road of freedom and discovering who you are, because he calls you beautiful, because he calls you anointed, because he calls you new, your purpose now becomes to help others uncover who they are in Jesus, their value, their worth. You may say, I come into this place, and again, my family is a mess. Man, Jake, I want to be reconciled. I want God to give me that new name of, of wholeness of healed. My marriage is a mess. My family's a mess. I say, God wants to give you that new name, but he doesn't want to keep you there. Your purpose isn't just there. Your purpose then becomes, how do I help others walk that road of reconciliation, of hope, of healing, of wholeness? If we could just understand that God loves us and cares for us that much, that he calls us to something so much greater. He gives us a new name. He gives us a new purpose. But God also gives us a new future. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. This is a very familiar verse, a popular verse. You could all probably read it to me without even looking at the screen. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Hope and a future. This is America's verse. We know this verse. You don't even have to come to church to know this verse. My daughter's going to graduate from high school in a couple weeks, and I guarantee she's going to receive a, receive a stack of cards that has this verse all over it. We think it's the magic formula. Man, if I come to Jesus, everything's great. My, my future is great. I'm going to be prosperous. I'm not going to be harmed. But we need to understand the context of this verse. Jeremiah, the prophet, is speaking 
to the people of Israel. This group of people, if you read the book of Jeremiah, the whole book is this attempt for Jeremiah to call the people of God back to relationship to himself. It says that they forsook their God and they adopted relationships or took on relationships with the gods of the pagan nations around them. And after countless tries, try and try and try again, they just continued to refuse to reconcile to God. So what did God do? God exiled them for 70 years. They were separated, were not in their land under the rule of the Babylonian Empire. And this is coming to the end of that time, end of their 70-year sentence, if you will. God used Jeremiah to remind them that though there were consequences for their choices, that God still had a plan, a purpose for their life, that they were not forgotten. Church, God has a plan for you and for me. What was once true of our past no longer has to be true in our present and our future. I'm so blessed to know and to have experienced God's amazing power that that label of feeling unforgivable, unloved, unwanted, that God was able to take that away and give me a new name. And that because of that, my purpose and my future would be so much greater. A beautiful story of this, of how God can change our future. Joshua chapter 2, there's a story of a woman named Rahab. We don't talk about Rahab very much. Rahab was a prostitute. That was the label that man created, the created one gave her, probably because that's what she was in that time. Eight times her name is listed in Scripture. Six of those times it has a descriptor of prostitute attached to it. Can you imagine what that would do to someone's thought, perception of their self? I've already said I felt like I was unloved, I was unwanted. Can you imagine if every time I walked in a room, hey, there's Jake, the unloved one. How would I feel? I would internalize that. It would develop me into what I thought was possible. I can imagine her thinking, I'm used goods. No man would ever want me. I could never have a good marriage. I'm unclean. I'm filthy. But her story is amazing. God began to do something in her heart. And as Israelites were surveying the land that they were going to come back into, the spies, some Israelite spies had come in and she gave them shelter. This decision that was very dangerous, life-threatening decision that she made to give them shelter. But she did it because she had this belief that, hey, maybe their God could be my God. And the amazing thing is, is that is what happened. If you know her story, this woman who had never thought that she would amount to anything, never have a good marriage, she married a very godly man named Salmon. And by the grace of God, she had a great, 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 great or so grandson that just happened to be the savior of the world, Jesus. Out of the lineage of a woman who at one point was named dirty and filthy and not special, God transformed her and out of her future came the sinless son of God. Church, we can't, we can't hold on to these things that cripple us and that keep us back. You can't tell me that what someone has called you of how you felt like you don't measure up, of how you felt rejected. You can't tell me that those things will haunt you for the rest of our life because our God is bigger than what someone else says about you. God's truth is greater than their opinions. He wants to do more in us and through us. He wants to give us a new name, 
a new purpose and a new future. What once was no longer has to be. Listen, the enemy of our soul will always try to label us, to call us average, to say that we don't measure up. That you're not worthy. And when that happens, Philippians chapter 3, Paul writes this very encouraging verse to us. He says this, forgetting what is behind Forgetting what is behind, letting go of the labels, letting go of the opinions and judgments of others, letting go of the past. I'm not going to hang on to it. I'm forgetting what is behind. I'm straining toward what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize in Christ Jesus. Why? Because we have a new name, a new purpose, and a new future. You are not who other people say you are. You are who God says that you are. You're a new creation. The old is gone. This week, I want to encourage you to do a couple things is next steps for me. I want you to spend some time reading, thinking about, and maybe memorizing 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. It means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life has gone. A new life has begun. But I don't want you to stop there. I want you to take it a step further. I want you to find someone this week, and as God moves in your heart and changes things in you, I want you to share your story of how God has completely changed your view of self as a way to encourage them. Understanding how God sees us, having this healthy perspective of ourself is the first step in having a godly perspective of our home, of our family, of our church, of our community, of our world.